0: I'm thinking about all the things uh, that... i got to turn my, my tether here. There we go. Thinking of all the things that uh, you observe. Enthusiastic cheers on news of a hymn sing. Wow. <laughs> do you realize what a great gift music is? It is. And, and do you realize that music, God's invention is an area of applied mathematics. It is. It's a practical application. All the notes, all the frequencies, all the harmonies and everything are all built on mathematical relationships. It bespeaks, it testifies to the orderliness of our creator and to the the way that he has created our world. We began the service with a call to worship that says, forget not all his benefits. I, I, I need to remember that God is my savior. I need to remember that he is the one who, who heals me. He's the one who, uh, has guided my life throughout its course. These thoughts and memories need to be before me at all times. And they also Uh, come into play when we join together in worship. Uh, That's one of the big things about worship, is we are remembering what he has done, remembering his great work of salvation. Please join me as we read our scripture text this morning from Malachi chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter, Malachi chapter 1. Please follow along the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel." A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now, entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to you when, with such a gift from your hand. Will he show any favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, Among the nations. Here we end the reading of God's Word. Well, Malachi writes after the exile. The people of Judah have been taken into exile uh, to Babylon, and there they have spent 70 years in exile. But the Lord had graciously promised, even before they went into exile through Jeremiah, that they would be returning and that he would restore them to the land, and indeed, he was true to his word as he always is. He restored them to the land. But what happened? Had they learned their lesson? Well, I'm sure some had, but many, and apparently many of the priests, had not learned the lesson of the exile because very quickly they began to fall back into sinful Ways of worship, careless, cold worship. And the prophecy, or the, these words of Malachi, which are actually from God through Malachi to the people, these words are a challenge to them because of their cold and careless and even evil worship. They had forgotten what they were supposed to have learned. And that's really why I began this uh, scripture reading, by reading the whole chapter, not just the part that deals with worship and the the sins of the priests. And I want to make sure you understand this. Today, all God's people are priests. You're gathered here to offer the service of worship as as a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood So these words apply to you and to me as we gather for worship, to offer worship to God as his royal priesthood. The people had forgotten. They had begun to fall back into sinful ways and patterns of life. And indeed, the whole book of Malachi is a challenge to several different sinful patterns of life that were becoming more and more prominent among the people of God. But there is a problem that is at the root of all of this, and it is in the first part of the first chapter of Malachi. We're talking about worship. What is worship? Well, where do you go to find a definition of a word? Google, right? No, the dictionary, but you can find it on Google. Well, here's the dictionary definition of worship. The act of paying divine honors to the supreme being. Well, that's generic enough, isn't it? Religious reverence, homage, adoration, acts of reverence paid to God, or a being viewed as God. We've got to be all-inclusive in our definition here. Well, okay, I, I, yeah, that's kind of okay. Okay. It's a little on the vanilla side, but it's okay. How about this? To declare the worth of something. That's what we do in worship. We declare that God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is worthy of worship. He is worthy to be praised. Well, let me read you something also from our directory for worship. It's not so much a definition as a description of what we do and how we do it when we come to public worship. God's people not only are to come into his presence with a deep sense of awe at the thought of his perfect holiness and their own exceeding sinfulness, But also are to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise for the great salvation that he has so graciously wrought for them through his only begotten Son, and which he applies to them by his Holy Spirit. All are therefore to worship with sincere devotion, reverence, and expectation. I love that last word, expectation. Are you expecting the blessing of God in worship? when you come that whole idea of expectation means that you understand that worship is you as living stones coming into the presence of the living god and there's a transaction there's a there's a communion there is a fellowship and there is Praise going up to him and blessing coming down from him. And you come into worship expecting that. That word expectation indicates that you understand that you are in the presence of the living God, the God of grace, the God of love, from whom all blessings flow. And you are expecting his blessing. But do not expect his blessing if you bring cold And careless worship. And that's the point that Malachi is making here. What is the root of cold, careless worship? Well, it's found in the first part of that chapter. It's found in the in the history of Jacob and Esau that they have forgotten. That passage begins with a declaration of God's love. I have loved you. Your relationship with God begins with his declaration. I have loved you. I have not loved you because you are good. I have loved you in spite of your sin. I have not loved you because you're important. I'm the Lord of hosts. You are dust. I have not loved you because of what you can do for me. I have simply loved you, not because you deserve it. It is gracious. And and here's the proof of that. There were two boys born of one mother at the same time. They were twins. They were fraternal twins, we call them, Jacob and Esau. One I loved, the other I hated. I chose one. I chose to love one of those boys. Not necessarily the nice one, either, how many of you think Jacob was a wonderful little boy, wonderful guy? Wouldn't you all like to have Jacob for your neighbor? I, I, I don't see any hands up. I, I don't understand that. God didn't love Jacob because he was a good boy. He loved Jacob before he was born. Before he was, before the boys were able to do anything good or evil that was observable. But God set his love on one of them. And the other, his judgments. And he even goes so far as to say his hatred. Paul quotes this passage from Malachi in Romans chapter 9. And it's in defense of the doctrine of election. God has mercy on whom he will have mercy. And those who he hardens, he hardens. Those he does not have mercy, he hardens them in their unbelief and their sin. But see, the problem is, Israel has forgotten this. And, And I would put it to you today that forgetting the sovereign grace of God which ought to call forth from us gratitude and love in return for his love. We love him because he first loved us. The sovereign grace of God has been forgotten by many of us. And that is at the root of cold, careless worship. So I want I want to challenge you right now. Have you forgotten? Do you meditate on God's unchanging sovereign grace? Does it mold your mind and your heart? Does it inform your worship so that you come before God with hearts filled with thanksgiving and praise and adoration? Remembering all his benefits that began for you before you were born. Do you remember that? Or have you forgotten? Or is it so easily pushed to the back of your mind and your memory? That's why we say we remember all his benefits That's the root. God, through Malachi, is confronting the people with their lack of appreciation for his sovereign grace and electing love. And that is the root of the problem. And that is why they are slipping back into sinful patterns of worship, sinful relationships in their marriages, in their uh, divorces coming back. They are failing to honor God with their Offerings and their tithes and so forth. It is the root of all of that. If that's the root, then what are the symptoms? What are the symptoms? Well, Malachi details some of the symptoms for us. There is no honor or fear of God evident among them. Verse 6 says this, "A A son honors his father. And a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? How many times have you said, Our Father, who art in heaven, and you are confessing with your lips that he is your Father in heaven. And yet, where is his honor? Where is the honor? Are they just words? Or is that actually to be the attitude that you exhibit when you approach God in prayer and worship? Where is my honor if I am your father? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Where is the respect, the awe, the the duty that you owe to a master? And by the way, if God is your master, the awe, the duty, the respect is actually a great privilege. It's actually a great privilege. Where is that? If I am your father and I am your master, God says, where is my honor and where is the fear that you ought to bring into my presence? With their lips they confess God, but their actions show no respect. Their hearts have grown far from him. Words are easy. Actions. Tell the story. Of course, it's easy in showing repentance. And of course, this was the custom among the ancient people to show grief and repentance. One would tear your, tear your cloak. Put dust on your head. Go about with a long face and mourning. Jesus condemns the Pharisees that they do this. And they parade themselves publicly for their, with their outward acts. But the prophet said this. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Let your heart show your repentance, your grief over sin, your sorrow. In the same way, let your hearts, which guide your actions, out of the heart flow the issues of life. Let your heart guide what is in your worship as in the sense that this if your heart is sincere before god so will your worship be a second symptom the priests themselves and i'm speaking to a congregation of royal of a royal priesthood the priests themselves are doing evil what what when you offer blind animals in sacrifice is that not evil And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? And that, of course, is what they were doing. There were very strict rules governing the offering of these sacrifices. The the people were to bring uh, a lamb without blemish, a spotless lamb. They were not to bring those that had broken bones or bruises or cuts or, or had been wounded or something like that, or even had spots on them. They were to bring a perfect lamb for sacrifice. But the priests, eh, it's okay. You got a lamb that's blind, it's no use to you, why don't you bring it and sacrifice? Because, and this, this is something we have to understand, these were ceremonial laws. You might say, well, breaking the ceremonial law... That's just a ceremony, right? No, but it was a moral principle to obey the ceremonial law because it reflects what's in your heart. The ceremonial law passes away. It's fulfilled in Christ. And by the way, that's the reason why bringing a spotless lamb was important, because it prefigured the coming Redeemer, Jesus Christ. When they brought the lame and the blind, they were destroying the lesson that God was teaching them about their coming Redeemer. Is that not evil? Yes, it is evil. worship third third symptom here worship becomes weariness i won't ask you to raise your hands on this one but how many of you have ever come to sunday morning and said oh i got to get ready again i got to go to church again there's so many other things i'd like to do but if i don't go to church somebody'll You know, take note of it. I'll get a call from the pastor, maybe one of the elders. I'll say, where where are you? We missed you, son. And I have to make up an excuse. (sighs) What a weariness. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't ask you to raise your hands, but you're chuckling, which tells me something. I have to admit, pastors sometimes have this problem and you know, we had three little girls in our house and i have to tell i have to give my wife a lot of credit she often had everything ready saturday night you know all the all the little pretty dresses laid out and the kids were washed and ready to go but sometimes sometimes getting three little girls ready to travel to church for sunday school and then sunday morning worship and everything it's like herding cats <laughs> and sometimes i am just Even the pastor goes, "Huh, what a weariness! What a weariness!" Now that—that's one way we sometimes express our weariness with worship, and that's not good. But there's even a a worse problem, and that is—and Malachi mentions this—and you snort at it. What good does it do? What a useless exercise! So many other more important things to do. Yeah. We wrestle with that sometimes. You think worship is worthless. Worship becomes weariness, but you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord. If you've ever had that attitude problem, that worship is a weariness, and you wonder if it's really worth it, that is, your, that is God's call to you, to do a reality check in your heart. Do I really believe in God? You see, let me, let me dig a, peel another layer of the onion. When we fall into these attitudes and actions of careless and cold worship, do you know, do you realize what we actually have become? We have become practical atheists. Confessing God with our mouth. But living as if there is no God—you realize how serious that is. The danger had the root of it. Some of the symptoms of it. What about the danger? The danger is that you be- begin to despise the name of God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Third commandment. But the prophet says, God says through the prophet, that when we bring cold, careless worship, we are actually despising the name of God. O priests who despise my name! But you say... Don't you love these innocent-sounding questions? But you say, well, how have we despised your name? How have we despised your name? How have you loved us? How do we do it? What? What are you talking about, Lord? Yeah, here's what he's talking about. By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. Now, he's not necessarily, he's not talking about the Lord's table that we have at communion, though I guess you could draw some kind of a connection. But it was, in fact, that these animals that were brought for sacrifice were to be sacrificed as a sweet aroma to God. And then often those animals were used as food for the priests. And the Lord was providing for his priesthood through them. But they despised the name of the Lord. The name of God is not a title. It's the personal name that he revealed to Moses. When he said, when I go back to the people of Israel and they ask, what is the name of of God, what shall I tell them? And, And God said, you will tell them I am has sent you. Yahweh, Jehovah. I asked a professor, what's the right pronunciation of that four-letter Hebrew word? And he said, well, about half of people say Yahweh and about the other half say Jehovah. But it's that Yahweh. That is the name that's, that is his that he has revealed as his personal name, I Am. And it signifies that he is this self-existent God. He is is not a God who derives anything from anything else. He exists in himself, and because he is self-existent, he is the one who brings life to everything else in the universe. He's the God of life. He is the God of truth. He is Because he is self-existent, he does not change, and he cannot be changed. We do not come to worship to change God's mind. We come to worship because he is changeless, and he has life in himself. And we rejoice that he is the true and living God. But you have despised my name. When you bring cold, careless, evil worship into his presence. And there is a danger. The soul that sins, it shall surely die. Oh, but my sins are forgiven. Then double shame on you. For the people of Israel were loved by God before uh, (laughs) Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. They were loved again when he brought them out of captivity and now they are falling back. God has loved you. He has sent his son for you. He has saved you. And you coldly, carelessly fall back into those sins. Double shame on us for that. The Bible says also that God withdraws his favor from those who bring this cold, careless worship. He uses the analogy of the governor. Try bringing some kind of a faulty, substandard sacrifice to your governor. Present this to your governor and see if he has favor on you. Oh, governor, would you please grant us this favor? By the way, here's my blind, wounded, half-dead lamb. Will he show favor on you? No. Will he accept you or show favor, says the Lord of hosts? The answer is, it's a rhetorical question. You know the answer. A curse comes on those who worship "...coldly and carelessly. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished." And then notice what he says, "...for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. You may not fear me, but my name will be honored and feared among the nations of the earth." What would you have thought today if when you came through those doors there was somebody standing in front of the door there was a chain across the door and someone had shut the doors and had kept you out from this building for your time of worship. What would you have thought? Well, the nerve. But here's what God says. To the people of Israel offering their cold, careless, wicked, evil, thoughtless worship. Oh, that someone would shut the door. What's the point of that? God is really saying this, it would be better that you never came to worship. It would be better that you stopped people at the door from coming in to the temple with their... With their disobedient acts of worship, than that you bring and defile the name of God with cold, careless worship. It would be better that the doors were locked shut. There's a passage that's even more descriptive of this, and it comes in the first chapter of Isaiah, I'm going to read it to you, and it, it really also speaks to this, that when they would come to worship God on their day of worship, on their, at the time when they would come into the temple, they were conveniently forgetting that all the rest of the time of their lives was spent in violence and cheating and lying and adultery and so forth. Here's what God said through Isaiah. Isaiah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. <coughs> Boy, no. no. We're Israel. We're not Sodom and Gomorrah. The... No. You're Sodom. That's what God says. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. You come to your solemn assembly with your hands dripping with blood. You come to the solemn assembly of God's worship with your hearts bent on evil, thinking of and fantasizing about your lusts and your desires. And God says this, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them when you spread out your hands. I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Now, (laughs) Now watch the, watch the ch- change of tone here. That's been pretty harsh, hasn't it? That's been pretty strong, but listen to what comes next, because God is still a God of grace. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall become like wool. I don't know the thoughts that are running through your head right now, but perhaps God has used this this message and these words of Scripture to convict some of you of cold and careless worship. But you need to hear this as well. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. As bad as that was, as, as terrifying as that description of God's hatred of cold, careless, sinful worship was, God also holds out his hand and says, let's sit down and talk. Let me explain the reality to you. The, your sins are like scarlet. They are red. They are bloody red. But I, I can wash you. I can wash you and make you as white as wool as snow. I have a a friend many years ago. He's passed away now and is with the Lord. And he learned. He learned. uh, But he was a minister as well. And I went to visit his church one time. It was down in Florida. And at the time, he was really into studying Jonathan Edwards. And so, of course, what is the most famous sermon that Jonathan Edwards ever, ever preached was it's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it is vivid. It's one of the sermons that God used to spark uh, the re- early revivals, great awakening in early American history. But it's a, a vivid sermon about sinners in the hand of an angry God. I mean, Jonathan Edwards uses words like this. You are nothing but a loathsome spider hanging by a thread over the flames of hell, and those flames are licking up, ready to burn that single thread by which you hang and drop you into judgment. Well, my friend thought that's how you should preach, and then you should say, amen, let's pray. And I had to I had to go up to him, brother. He said, There's a reason why we are called ministers of the gospel. Because after the news of God's judgment and the after the, the detailing of sinners in the hands of an angry God, we also have to say, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as wool. So brothers and sisters, if you are convicted, if you are thinking about how cold and careless our worship has become, let me encourage you in saying, God, this God that you have offended, this God that you have failed to respect and honor as a Lord, this God that you have failed to honor as your Father, this God still holds his hands of grace and love out to you and says, let us reason together. I can wash you. I can cleanse you. It starts just by going back, circling back to the beginning. They had forgotten God's sovereign grace. They had forgotten that God chooses without any regard to our merit, or our value. Oh, God loves you because you're valuable. Well, the God who says that the nations of the earth are but as the dust of the scale and the drop in the bucket. Where do you get at the idea that God somehow loves you because you're valuable to Him? No. In fact, it's not because you were so valuable that He sent His Son. It's because of his sovereign love. For nothing in me deserves that, but it is electing love. If I'm right that this is the root of the problem, then I think we're also right to say this is the beginning of the solution. John writes... We love him because he first loved us. So do you love him? That's what Jesus asked Peter. Peter, do you love me? Well, you know I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Well, of course, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Demonstrate your love in an action, in a way of life in a changed heart and attitude. God loves you. How will you love him? He loves you with that unique love that is regardless of merit, regardless of value, regardless of anything in us. He chose to love for his own glory, that he might demonstrate the riches of his grace, How then do you come to worship? You love him. Go back to the root of the problem. Deal with the symptoms. And then come and worship God in spirit and in truth. Take care how you come into the presence of the Lord. Prepare yourselves. Have your thoughts focused on God, on Christ, on the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who in a divine conspiracy have joined together to save your soul. Come with songs of praise that come from the heart. Come with prayers that reveal the inner workings of your being and your soul holding nothing back because God sees what is in your heart. Hear his word with ears that truly hear. Read his word with eyes that truly see. Believe his word with hearts that are made new in his presence. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's join in prayer. Lord our God, even today, Lord, we confess that our worship is not what it should be. We confess that we have come before you, sometimes coldly today, some have come uh, burdened with other thoughts, extraneous thoughts, but you have called us to worship in spirit and in truth, and you have called us to show honor to you and to fear you, and yet coming with that joyous thanksgiving, and love, and even expectation into your presence. We pray, Father, that you, would, that you would turn our hearts, and that we would honor you in all things, and that we would bring true devotion, that we would indeed, as Paul writes in Romans 12, Based on the mercies of God, I beseech you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that we would not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.